Good morning. Hope you guys have had a great start to your reInvent so far. I know you've probably attended a few sessions and it's almost lunchtime, so thanks for joining our session. Uh, today we're going to have a really interesting topic on executing large-scale migrations to AWS. And we've got three great speakers today. Kalpin is part of our marketing team that's focused on migrations with Amazon Web Services. Uh, Ryan Hughes, VP of Cloud Solutions at Nationwide Insurance, uh, who'll be taking us through their transformation journey. Um, I will say any of you that have seen any U.S. commercials recently, the nationwide jingle is probably going through your head. I am not going to sing it today, I promise. Um, so anyway, let's get started. Oh, and myself, sorry. Uh, I'm a migration specialist as part of our professional services team, and I work with customers migrating uh, large enterprises to AWS Cloud. So um, we were interested in, in talking to you today. So we have an exciting agenda in store for you today. Um, we're, I'm going to start with large-scale migrations and why customers are doing those and what kind of outcomes are they hoping to get out of those migrations. Uh, Ryan is going to talk about learnings from Nationwide's migration journey. Now, you're going to get some great ideas of things that you potentially could try in your organization. And one thing I will stress, and we'll all talk about that today, is migrations really have to be structured based on what works for your organization. So a lot of the content you're going to get today is going to help you plan what works for your migration. And then Kalpin's going to talk us through the migration playbook and some of the best practices that we've collected over the years of how migrations can work. There again, this is your cookbook of things to put together so that you then can make your transformation journey work. So let's jump into large-scale migration drivers and, and what outcomes customers are seeing. So there are many different drivers for customers like yourselves to initiate the journey to AWS. Um, driven by compelling events, you need to close a data center, uh, you have aging hardware, or just looking for cost uh, reduction. Those are all reasons that many customers do, but we're seeing that the, the story is changing now. It's really moving to more about how do we transform, how do we, transform, how do, we do more? Uh, it makes me think back in the 2000s. Many of us, if you were in the development uh, shops at that point, um, you needed to, you were pushed to get development product to market faster. And we were looking for ways to do it. And about that time, the Agile Manifesto came out. And all of a sudden we said, let's go to Scrum. Agile makes sense. So I remember going in my organization and telling my team, okay, we're gonna go in these teams and you're gonna develop and test. We're gonna do it over two weeks. We're not gonna write giant specs that have to be signed off by the business. We're gonna iterate and we're gonna to build as we go and test as we go. And, and my team looked at me and thought I'd lost my mind. It's like, what are you talking about? How can we work that way? How can we be sure we're building uh, what the users want? Um, so anyway, we tried our first sprint, and we did our sprint planning, and, and the team looked, said, okay, we're going to do this many features. And I'm like, what about testing? Oh, testing's in the next sprint. And I'm going, no, 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 no. It's all got to go together into one. So we stumbled through sprint one. We got some stuff out. We then went to sprint two a little better. By sprint three, everyone had embraced the process. And so that's what the journey to the cloud kind of helps you is it starts us to build upon that agile benefit we got some years ago when we moved to Scrum. And now we can start to do that same thing in the cloud and continue to move further and, and innovate more fast, more, more faster. Um, so, and then we also, you know, as we talk about the journey, right, and, and Ryan's going to talk a bit about what was driving uh, Nationwide and their mission. It wasn't just moving to the cloud, but what are the benefits we can get of being to the cloud? And so customers now start to look at how can I do digital transformation? How can I uh, increase productivity? And how do I change an operations model? So these are things that are really seeing customers driving to the cloud, not just cost savings. So when we talk about after cost savings, what customers are really looking at is agility number one. And this is one of the things that really gives customers, you know, when you move to the cloud, there's a new kind of agility. You can experiment. You can try new things. Uh, the cost of experimentation is so much less. You don't have to invest in a lot of hardware or software. You can try things. If it doesn't work, you try something else. So it definitely allows you to iterate faster and be able to uh, move quicker to try new things. 
From an operational efficiency, we definitely see a lot of savings uh, in cost, of course. This then frees up resources to focus on what differentiates your business. And we talk about resources, it's just not hardware, but it's people. If people don't have to worry about provisioning hardware or keeping up with storage, they're now available to do other things that are more productive and more value added to your customers. The other thing I think is really important is we talk about reduced risk, and we often talk about this around IT, being able to put infrastructure as code and security as code and those things, but I think another point of risk that sometimes gets uh, passed over is if you think about your annual budget, budget cycle today in an on-prem world, you have to determine how much hardware you will need, how much storage you need. So you go inter inter uh, interview your business owners, ask them what are they going to, how much are they going to store this year, how many new customers are they going to add. They have to make that up, often in October, if you're on a fiscal calendar year, for a budget that starts spending in January. And they make a guess. And they often overguess because they're concerned if they, if they underguess, they can't buy new hardware, so that's a business risk. So now you're over-provisioning and purchasing more than you really need. And so when you look at reducing the risk, part of it reduces the risk of running your business and ensuring that you are sizing things properly. And also that's going to make your board of directors happy, right? Because now profits are going to be better, customers are going to be better served, and there's not a lot of waste. So when we look at, you know, how do you plan this cost savings? How do you really understand what this looks like? Um, we work with customers on structured business cases, and we really look at these four value perspectives around cost savings, staff productivity, operational resiliency, as well as business agility. All those are really important. Cost is one, but the rest really make a lot of difference. Sometimes those are harder to, to calculate, but definitely those are something I think that's important. And we've got some customer examples we can talk about. So some of these examples here, I won't go through all of them, but if you look at Edmonds, they were able to translate a five-year, $32 million savings by just doing their migration to AWS. So that's significant savings that really goes right to the bottom line. When you look at productivity, Avanzia uh, does a telehealth uh, medical system that allows doctors to video conference with, with each other. And you think about hospitals in small rural areas that don't have the specialists, having this ability to be able to connect with other doctors and make better patient decisions really grades great benefit to the community and to their customers. And with AWS, they actually were able to do more with the same size DevOps team and not have to expand the team as they expanded their product offerings. Uh, with Vodafone Italy, uh, many of us have a mobile phone, um, and if we couldn't access the capabilities of our mobile phone, we would be really lost and we'd be looking for a new provider. So for them to be able to get 99.99% uh, availability ensures that they're going to keep their customers and meet their customers' needs. And then from a big business agility side, one of the examples I really love is Intuit. So Intuit took their whole Mint platform and moved it to AWS. And what they said is this did allow them to provide better capabilities for their customers to manage their financial um, health. And, and as Intuit said, we're not into making data centers. That's not what we're good at. What we're good at is building software that helps our consumers. So for them to be able to get build out and deployments faster and not be in the data center business was a big win for them. And so why do customers migrate to AWS? Um, and this is what we hear from our customers, is we have the most migration experience. We have a million active customers, not all those are migration customers, but a million customers using our services. And a lot of leading brands, such as Nationwide, who we'll talk later, have migrated to AWS. And so we really have the, the breadth of experience to really help customers do this. Um, our solutions are very comprehensive, as we'll talk about a lot of the capabilities we have available today when Calpin gets up. Um, but we've, we've matured third-party tools as well as our own tools to help customers make the journey easier and accelerate that process. And, and last, it's really faster time to business results. You know, the faster you can move to AWS or the cloud, the faster that you can begin to see those benefits that you were looking for. And so we find customers are able to deliver three times more features per year. And as you look at the examples with Intuit and, and Avanazi, you can see some real examples there. Some other customer names as we talk about the uh, you know, leading brands that are migrating are Enel, uh, utility company in Italy that moved 5,500 instances in nine months. They then got cost savings and productivity gains. 
Coca-Cola got huge productivity gains of taking processes that ran in 38 hours, 36 hours to 10 seconds. That's phenomenal. That's just you know huge. You can't you can't um, you know you really changes the way you operate. And the Washington Post, when you look at the number of deployments, right? We talk about that agile sprint cycle. You know, many many years ago, look at these guys doing 50 plus deployments per hour. So you really think about how we've really moved agility along. And so now, that's enough kind of about what we see customers doing and why. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Ryan uh, Hughes to join us. Um, Ryan is the executive um, of VP of Cloud Solutions at Nationwide. And one of Ryan's quotes that we've taken is, having an executive sponsor for cloud is key. And you often hear us talk about that. Executive sponsorship is really important. But having a sponsor in the business is transformational. And so, Ryan, as you talk about that, why do you find that so transformational? Well, I mean, if we're talking about cloud, everyone thinks that cloud is all about IT. Usually, you know, infrastructure and operations groups that are in charge of cloud sit inside of, uh, of, of IT. You know, business unit IT kind of differs whether that's centralized or that's distributed depending on what kind of, of corporation you're in. But we find that, yes, you need both, that you need a, an executive who's going to sponsor you at the highest levels, hopefully the CIO mm -hmm. inside of IT, but also getting those business unit uh, executives on board with the value of that, that, that they can drive around speed and agility, all the things that, that you were talking about, that's when the company starts making a transition. Right. It's the difference between IT making a transition and the company making a transition. Amazing. Well, thanks. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. So Monday at reInvent. This is exciting. This is, um, I've been to every single reInvent. This is my eighth one, if I counted correctly. Anyone else been to all of them? Any other ones? Come on, there's got to be at least someone. No? Oh, I'm so lonely today. All right, so I'm really excited. Everyone's still energized. This is a really full room for Monday morning. I was kind of worried when I saw the session at 11.30 on Monday. I was like, uh-oh, in the Bellagio, not in the, not in the Venetian. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I get out of reInvent every year, it is my favorite conference every year, because it makes me realize something really interesting, which is we're all special. You're all special, but we're not unique. We all have similar challenges. We all have patterns and different outcomes that we're driving towards. And someone in this room and someone here at reInvent is going through the same challenges that you are. And you can use those uh, patterns and those techniques and those mechanisms to really uh, gain a leg up and take those back. And that's what I'm going to provide you today, hopefully, is just 20 minutes on, on how we've uh, borrowed, begged, and, and stolen from other people in industry and brought these mechanisms and these patterns to Nationwide and made them ours to fit within our culture, to fit within our constraints, and even sometimes our HR boundaries as a company. Yours, your mileage will vary. And Calvin's going to come up here and talk about, after I get done, about some of the other things that he's seen across the planet um, around other customers driving some best practices. As Mary said, I'm not Peyton Manning, and I'm not Brad Paisley. I cannot sing the jingle. And if I could, you wouldn't want to hear it. But just a, a little bit about Nationwide, um, especially for, for those that maybe aren't uh, in the US, we're uh, 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 we have about $45 billion of revenue. We're a Fortune 100 company. We're growing. We're here to thrive, not just survive. We're very um, diversified. We have about 25 different business units, around anything from uh, property and casualty insurance to life insurance and annuities, uh, very diversified. And of those, those 25 different business units, we, IT, get to provide the software development, infrastructure, and operations, um, and the cloud, which is where I come in. So if you think about our cloud journey progress, just to kind of level set where we were at, we were a little, we were more of a fast follower um, with, with, with cloud. Now, we really didn't start our cloud journey. We started looking at maybe 2016. Um, started really doing some experimentation in 2017. We found value in those, that experimentation, uh, as most people do, or I wouldn't be here. Uh, we defined a, a cloud strategy to move about 80% of our portfolio to cloud in the next three to five years. And we went through an exercise to uh, assign the set, one of the seven R's, which used to be the six R's, which is now the seven R's, see things change, and um, to all 2,000 of our applications. And that includes dates of migration and um, the kind of migration that they, would, that, that they would utilize. And if you don't know what the seven R's are, uh, Calpin will be up here to, to talk about it later. Most importantly, we formed a dedicated cloud team. 
and that was on the advice of everyone that we had talked to across the industry, is that having a dedicated cloud team, not just having an infrastructure team that cloud is their night job, or their third shift, or their second shift job, is the most important. And I, I think that that is one of the keys. Uh, I, I was actually had the privilege of being the first employee of that cloud team and hiring out our, our team. We now have uh, somewhere between 50 and 75 uh, people fully dedicated to cloud and to our DevOps platform. And, um, and the reason I say somewhere in between is because it depends on how you count and uh, you know how matrix organizations work. But we do have uh, at the minimum 50, 50 people that are uh, working on cloud day in and day out. And then in 2018, we had our first my, uh, apps migrate and they succeeded. So we said, hey, let's keep going. And what that's done for us is these kind of outcomes. So this year in 2019, we had 315 applications start their application journey. We had 80 production cutovers and one thing we really underestimated was the number of uh, new applications that would be created. So we set up a program to migrate applications, and we almost had more new apps come into the program, and we supported them just the same way as we did migrations. So we're gonna be changing a little, a little bit in 2020 to, to start to adapt to some of, these, some of these changes. One thing I'll tell you about these numbers is, you saw like the stats from Coca-Cola and NL. Our migration is a little bit different. Um, we chose to do an application by application migration. We're not just moving the virtual layer and, mo and moving all the, the middleware and web, web tier and database components over. We're uh, making decisions on which software providers, especially in proprietary middleware, that we are taking to cloud and not. And so what that does is it puts a software development project, sometimes minor, sometimes very major, in front of every migration that you do. So we're not just moving 3,000 instances to cloud, we're actually moving 80 applications, which can have anywhere from three to 300 servers underneath them. And we're doing um, things like moving to Tomcat, moving to Spring Boot, um, getting out of uh, data um, abstraction layers, and moving you know, more towards open source components in our applications where possible. As might be similar to your portfolios, depending on what kind of company you're in, we have a lot of packaged apps. We have custom apps too, but approximately 50% of our, of our portfolio is, is packaged you know, commercial off the shelf apps. So we can only do so much with those applications. They only certify on certain platforms. And so sometimes your mileage will vary with, with how we're doing this. So I mean, by a round of applause, I mean, 2019 was a pretty good year for Nationwide, right? Migrating into the cloud? Yeah. Woo! Good, because I'm exhausted. So, with, as with any success, of course what you do next year is you pivot, right? Because, I mean, you can't just have another success next year. You have to pivot and challenge yourself. And so that's what we're going to do in 2020. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. Just to hit on 2019, some of the pros of 2019 were that we didn't force anyone to migrate. We had basically a volunteer backlog. We had over 315 teams raise their hand and say, I want to start my cloud journey. We had 80 teams say, I feel comfortable enough in order to cut over. And we had 63 teams say, I'm building new on top of your platform. But what we got with that was variable financial impact, lowish complexity applications, you know, the things that are the most, the most complex and most expensive tended not to move because they were the most highly dependent on other systems. Um, lower priority doesn't mean lower priority apps. It means that we were lower priority in the app team's uh, backlog. So they have all these business features they need to de deliver to the business. They have other uh, projects that are going on. And cloud was just kind of something that was fun and nice to do and if they could succeed. So we ended up having a lot of highly talented people in our organization, in our cloud organization, sitting on their hands sometimes because the app team didn't show up. So we're gonna, we're gonna fix that in 2020 also. We also had this, this concept of just migrate. Just don't, don't really plan it out and make it a project. Just migrate, fit it into your backlog and migrate. And we had the tools and the visibility to, to make sure that you're doing it in, a, in the right-ish way once, once you get there. So this is all great. This, this, this did awesome things for us. Out of this, we developed some economic patterns around what kind of uh, technology and um, I will say some of the softer uh, how we work issues and patterns that we, that, we want, that we want to bring and don't want to bring. We also developed technical patterns out of that and then migration mechanisms. You know, on the economic, economic patterns, it's really interesting. It's not necessarily 
what you take to cloud. It's about how you work in cloud that, may, that allows you to save money with the, with the economics. A really good um, example of this that my, one of my executives likes to bring up all the time is the way that we do deduplicate data on premise and the storage frames that we have. We dedupe de around eight to one or eight to one ratio around block and um, file storage. Uh, now, AWS has services that will do that. There's also third-party services that will do that. But we kind of started asking ourselves, like, why do we have eight copies of data? Like, why do we need to dedupe like th that much? And a lot of it had to do with the number of lower and um, lower environments, so dev and test environments that people had spun up over the years. Uh, you know, somewhere between six and sixty dev and test environments per environment that are out there. And you, when you ask them, like, why do you have so many? Why do you have so many copies of the data? Why do you have so many uh, lower environments? They they would say, well. It used to take you guys so long to stand them up, so I just kept them and kept them forever. And I had more and more copies, and then I had more and more developers, and I needed more and more data. And this is why we have such bloat. Of course, you all sitting here know like you don't have to do it that way in cloud. You know, let's not take all eight copies of data. Let's not take all of our lower dev and test environments. Let's make sure that we're doing DevOps principles and and using um, the automation around being able to bring up dev and test environments on demand um, as we go. But that's not something that our app teams did automatically. They didn't just know to do that. We actually had to go and tell them, hey, this is the new way you're working, and we know that you're on a DevOps journey, but now that you're going to cloud, there's no choice. You have to do it this way, otherwise we won't get the economic benefit of, of the cloud. Technical patterns kind of dovetail right into that. If you think about, hey, if you can get to containers, you should probably get to containers. And we're not necessarily relying on the app team to get themselves the containers. We have accelerators that we built inside of our, our mechanisms that I'm going to talk about that assist them in making sure that they are able to um, get to that higher level platform. So that if they don't have to deal with servers, like don't, deal with, don't deal with servers. Same things along with the proprietary middleware. Um, we don't necessarily want every developer to uh, learn how to move from proprietary middleware to Tomcat or Spring Boot, like we think we can batch that up a little bit and help them get there quicker. Now, they definitely need to know how to run it and be able to do continuous improvement once they get there, which is a different, a different approach that we, can think, that we think that we can tackle in a different way. And then we're going to spend, like my favorite topic is around the migration mechanisms, and hopefully that's what I'm going to leave you with around some of the uh, te techniques that we've used that hopefully you can, you can use also. But I just wanted to look real quick. I told you we were going to pivot for 2019. And here's the opportunity that we have for, 20, for, for 2020. I'm sorry, that we're going to pivot going into 2020. And this is the opportunity we have. We're going to start moving things that really matter to cloud. It's not going to be about just raise your hand. If you have an application, you can go to cloud. We're going to still allow the self-service aspect of it around the, the volunteer backlog. But because we now have the privilege of earning the trust of a lot of our executives that we know how to do. Um, we have the accelerators and we've done the volunteer backlog and we've had a lot of success in 2019. We get to move the crown jewels in 2020, which is awesome. It's an awesome privilege. But we have to have a different approach in order to do it. I can't walk into my VP of claims and say, Fred, we're going to move all of our claims applications and trust me, we're just migrate it and like, we'll watch it and make sure that it runs afterward. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. You have to have a project plan. You have to have a plan. You have, to, you have to be able to execute it. You have to be able to say, these are the outcomes. These are the timelines. And so we have to change a little bit and we have to change our behavior. And let me tell you, like, change is tough. It's really easy to be the cloud change person affecting change on other people. It's really hard when you, um, the cloud executive, have to change due to feedback or due to business, business strategy and, and priority. And so this has been a tough pivot for us as a, as a, as a cloud team, that we have to get more back into um, project mode. And I say project mode lightly with like a wink, right? I'm not talking about old school waterfall. I'm talking about doing some planning before you migrate. That's, what I'm, that's, that's really what I'm, what I'm focused on here. When you get that planning, you get the business alignment, which is really key. So when I go talk to my claims executive, and I say, hey, we're going to have some bumps in the road. Here's the plan. Here are the risk items. Now they're right alongside when it, when it goes wrong. And that's something that we didn't have in 2019 I'm really excited for in 2020. Um, and then, like I said, we're really, really excited about the financial impact and the, um, 
ability to uh, use, these, use these migration accelerators in 2020 and um, hopefully have even more impactful outcomes in the future. So let's talk real quick about the mechanisms that we developed that work for us. We have three of them. The first, the first one is cloud clinics. Cloud clinics happen four hours, twice a week, in a room about half this size. Anyone and everyone's welcome. This is where we do a lot of our new app design. So if someone has an architectural question or they have a, um, they have a technical problem or they want to learn how to move to, to, to Tomcat or they want to um, you know, get off a proprietary database, this is a great place for them to stop by twice a week and be able to talk to the experts that we put in that room in order to, to unblock themselves. We really look at cloud clinics as kind of an unblocking exercise. More, more investment, a little bit more heavy than that, in a room about this size, we have migration parties. Migration parties are, you have to really squint and kind of look at a migration party and be like, is this really a party or is this just a, real, a lot of work happening in three days? And they're trying to make it fun because it's actually really tough. Um, but we do have fun with migration parties. We'll show you a little bit about that. Uh, three days once a month. Again, um, a bunch of experts in a room like this, all up and down the stack, not just cloud, right, but application developers, database experts, um, on-premise experts, firewall. You know, like we try to put everyone in that room or at least have them on call so that we can unblock teams as they're, as they're migrating to cloud. And we've had a lot of great success that. There is a sign-up process because, you know, we have to plan things like food, catering, um, the amount of energy drinks that we order, which is very important. We actually have a catering playbook, a, a, a catering and real estate playbook for the migration parties that, that we have. Um, and, uh, and one of our admins does a great job of putting, putting on that uh, party. It's great. Um, but it is a medium level of investment, so we do ask that people do you know, sign up and make the commitment to come. Even more high touch and more investment than that, we use dojos. And this is one of those that we stole from someone else. Uh, if you want to know more about dojos, I'm not going to hit on it. Uh, go to dojo.target.com. Target does an awesome job running dojos. Um, four, it's four to six weeks of immersive learning. It's a dedicated space, a room like a fourth of this size. And um, you must meet admission criteria in order to, like we only want to work on the most important stuff in there because it's four to six weeks of our most, our most highly talented people trying to uh, either fix a problem or get you to cloud or both. Underlying all three of these is just a little nugget that I had to give you today. It's not really one of our official mechanisms that we use for migration, but we use this all over the place, and that's mob programming. I'm sure that everyone's heard about paired programming and maybe mob programming also, but we use this all over the place. You will see TVs everywhere around nationwide. Um, there's this website, e-commerce website out there that has really good deals on things on Mondays like today. It's like $300 for a TV. Like, buy your developers TVs, folks. Like, don't be cheap around TVs. They will use them. This is, it's been, it's been great. Since we, since we put in all the monitors and all the screens and all the soft seating, um, we see groups like this. This is, this is our real team. This is, this is Kim and Tim and Sophia. Thank you, Eric, um, over there. And, um, <laughs> And this is them developing. And we will not tell you their last names because we do not want you to recruit them on LinkedIn because they're awesome. <laughs> and uh, this is them solving a problem with code on the screen. And we see more code on the screen inside of our infrastructure and operations building now than what we ever had before, and I, and I love it. So if you think about cloud clinics, cloud migration parties, dojos, mob programming is the way that we transfer the skills of a few to many. One note on this, like if, you take, if you don't take away anything else from this other than buy TVs, is let the novice drive the keyboard. Don't let the expert drive the keyboard. If you guys have ever done, gone through a paired programming uh, exercise, they say, I drive, we drive, you drive. That means the expert drives first. I think it's wrong. I actually think that you should have the novice starting driving the keyboard from the very start because you get novice type questions and you get that like second grade, uh, what the teacher always told you, hey, raise your hand because Someone else has that same question that you have, and don't be afraid to ask the question. You get that when you have the novice driving the keyboard, not the expert. So it's just a little tidbit that we've, that we've learned. Oh no, I did it. I said I wasn't gonna do it, and I did it. Autoplay videos. Autoplay videos on reInvent are tough. Okay, so even though he told me it was gonna play, 
I messed it up. All right, this is the real stuff. This is why we're here. This is a video of our June cloud migration party. This is the readout at the end of three days. And I'm gonna show you all the success that we had. It's only like, don't, don't worry, it's only like 90 seconds. Um, I am not an actor, as you can tell. I'm not Brad Paisley, I already told you that. Um, also, these are real engineers, they are not actors. This is shot on an iPhone. This is part of the promotion that we do internally. This video was never supposed to see the light of day. It was just internal promotion and it was basically filmed in order for our executives to be able to view all the great things that came out of the migration party and hopefully give us funding for more next year. Um, we got a lot of great feedback. I ended up posting it on LinkedIn. Um, AWS saw it and said, oh my gosh, you have to come and talk about this. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit not polished, and I think that's okay. And I think that's something you need to take back to your organizations too, is that not everything has to be a polished video, not everything has to be necessarily um, you know, through, the, through the marketing department. Like this, this, this uh, granular you know, cultural mechanism that's like from the ground up really changed a lot of things, because this is June, it's been six months now, now we actually have the video crew coming in, now we actually have formal marketing for the cloud program. So this, this really was the start of it all. I'm gonna let it play and let you, let you listen to it a little bit. It is uh, subtitled sort of, as you'll see, so you'll be able to get, get a feel of what's going on. And um, enjoy. Welcome to the June Migration Party here at Nationwide. We have 11 apps that are making their journey to the cloud. The cloud migration party is once a month, three days of intense cloud migrations with a bunch of experts in the room. And we've had so much success this month, I had to give the app team some opportunity to tell the world all the progress they've made in just the last three days. So we're gonna go rapid fire and we're gonna talk about all the success we had. You ready? Yeah. Go. Uh, the energy here is so contagious. Some of us have a very bad cloud fever. Um, we can barely contain so our excitement. Sick. We containerized our app. We moved our database to an open source system and we created our code pipeline. And best of all, two of the interns were in the driver's seat. Oh, awesome. Uh, we successfully stood up our Java application suite into a containerized solution and started a cloud uh, pipeline for automation. Awesome. So moving to cloud is always cool and we are moving an old legacy app to the cloud and we have created two pipelines for it and we have remodeled our database, old legacy database into a new database and moved it to the cloud. We worked through setting up a container infrastructure and we also created an API gateway and Lambda for a file pickup process. Containerizing our app to reduce costs and eliminate dependencies. We took a Grails app, uh, legacy app. Start over. We took our Grails application and got it converted over to a cloud solution. We got it containerized. We and we took an on-prem database and got it migrated to an open-source database solution. We moved our on-prem database to an open-source cloud database. We then pointed to the new database in the cloud, and then we containerized and deployed to tests. We created three open source databases in the cloud. We have one application running in containers, and we also created the code pipeline. Amazing. All right. So, awesome, huh? That was a self-made cloud. I'm glad you asked, yes. So um, that, that is, so again, we, we try to have fun. You can see that's just a boring conference room with less pretty wallpaper than this on it. Um, but we make it fun, you know, we, ha we, have a, we had a DJ one time, we have a fog machine. I, I guess what I'll say about it was it was fun for us. The other tenants in the building didn't have so much fun with the DJ in the fog building. Uh, or the fog, the fog machine, uh, there's like fire code and like and it just got a little tense after a while, but, um, but it was fun for us. And that's what really matters. Um, like I said, we, uh, a couple things about it, uh, time box everything. Whether we're talking about sprints, whether we're talking about the cloud migration party, time box everything. We have two readouts today. So we have an 11.30 a.m. readout and a 3.30 p.m. readout. And usually teams are working well into six, to 6 and 8 p.m. Um, afterward because they're so excited and the, and the help is there and they want to get going. But time box everything and make them hit 
outcomes at that 11.30 a.m. and that 3.30 p.m. Um, call out, and they'll ask for help more often because it's all about getting them to ask for help. If they, if they have a barrier around a, a firewall or a dependency on another team, which happens all the time, our portfolio is so connected and so highly dependent on, on other applications and other teams, um, we want to get them in the room. We want to call them. We want to escalate. The only way we do that is by having those two, read, those two readouts a day. Um, finally, you couldn't see it there. The reason we did this video, and I kind of mentioned it before, the reason we did this video is because the executives that we present to couldn't make it to this readout. So this video was kind of accidental, but we invite our executives all the way up to our CIO, our BU CIOs, um, to attend these readouts and to get into the routine of coming up and hearing, and hearing all the results um, from, from these videos. And that kind of reverberation and support really makes, uh, really makes this go. The other thing is, we, set, we don't just let them work aimlessly. Over lunch, we have topics come in. So um, cost optimization, uh, architectural, architectural serverless, whatever it may be, we have those come in as like lunch topics in order to kind of break up the day a little bit. So what does this all mean? Okay, so migration evolution, I told you we were changing in, in 2019 and into, into 2020 based on our learnings. So if you remember, we had the volunteer backlog, we built accelerators, we now have the privilege of doing a priority backlog with really important applications that are gonna change the face of our company. Uh, how does this really relate to all these mechanisms underneath in 2020? The way I'm looking at it is volunteer backlog go to the least, the least priority mechanisms. I'm sorry, the least investment mechanisms. So you look at cloud clinics, really low investment. You look at migration parties, medium investment. Volunteer backlog applications will continue their journeys going, going that way. You're gonna have to really convince me to put anything into a dojo given the amount of investment that goes into those. Um, that's not one of our crown jewel applications that, that, that needs that help and needs that transformation. It's gonna really move the needle in either a financial way or a business impact kind of way. Um, and so, you know, I think that these three mechanisms that we've been able to derive and then the, the economics and technical patterns on top of that will take us into this next strategy without changing too much of our underlying infrastructure that we've created. Okay. I have one more thing, two more things kind of to leave you with. One is memorialize your success. So as leaders of this journey, get your teams to document the successes they're having in the voice of the app teams, in the voice of the customer, always in the voice of the customer, whether it's video, whether it's blogs, whether it's a write-up, whatever it is, make sure they're doing it because they will forget and they won't do it. To them, it's just like one more thing they need to do at the end, but it's the most important thing to have that documentation of all of the softer benefits of cloud that may not come out in some of the key metrics that you're tracking. If I look back and look at what we're tracking for 2019, I look at quantity of apps. Quantity of apps was fun to look at, and it like started going like this, especially at the end of the year, and it, but like, I don't, I don't know exactly know like the quantity of apps migrated provides value to our organization? Um, did it provide better agility, better speed, more quality? It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to start to measure those things. So it's easy to say, those are the things I should measure. Go ahead and try to measure those things in your first year of migration. You're not gonna be able to do it. You, you default back to that age old thing around, you measure what you can, knowing that's not perfect, knowing that you're gonna have to evolve. And so we're gonna try to evolve and try to measure value in a different way in 2020, but memorialize your success because especially in 2020, I'm sorry, especially in uh, 2019 as we're learning and growing, there was a lot of software benefits that weren't documented that I, I wish there was. Um, and so we actually started giving this template to, this is real, PowerPoint where you are welcome to steal any way that you want to from, from nationwide that we give to, to uh, customer, uh, our app teams and our customers that allows them to start to document some of their success in their story. And it only takes five minutes, but sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's around speed, technology, capability. Uh, I just saw a new video come, come out last week out of our internal marketing team that's kind of assigned to going and tracking these these uh, teams down after they get out of a migration. I guess I should mention that. After teams get out of a migration party or out of a, out of a dojo, um, we actually have a follow-up OCM task now to go and follow up with them and, 
and get these uh, learnings done. And we didn't start doing that till Q3 or even into Q4 this year. And that was an oversight on, on, on my part that I wish we would have done better in 2019. Um, but this, uh, this helps them get a voice out there and helps, helps you as a leader in cloud say, hey, you know what, we didn't may maybe make our financial benefit or our quantity, or our quantity metrics or whatever it may be this year, but this is undeniable. When we have someone on, on camera, which I just saw last week, uh, I wish I could, I, could, I could show, it's for our, our board of directors and they haven't seen it yet, so that means you guys can't see it yet. But it, it has Mike and Mike is, talking about how it took him weeks to deploy web servers and database, very simple stuff in the past, and he did it on the cloud using Kubernetes and our cloud deployment in seven minutes. And it's just so powerful to hear like this developer say, weeks and months, many people, tens of people I had to go through in order to like watch the ticket and watch the, 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 the request for change, and then seven minutes over here. And to hear him say it and not me say it is everything. And so, you know, please memorialize your success. Do not forget to do it. Check up on your teams because they will forget. And it's no fault of their own. They're just busy. You've taught them to go to the next one. They go to the next one. They go to the next one. You have to stop for a second and do this. All right. The next one is the final thing I have for you. Um, it's on this same kind of uh, method around making people more productive. And I'm just going to play a little 10-second video for you here. A little bit hard to hear. Again, iPhone quality but it was never supposed to see the light, light of day. Start on that, was not expecting to make it that far. So um, just want to thank everybody. This has been probably the most productive three days I can remember since my employee orientation. <laughs> <laughs> when I've been here 30 years. So, I mean, this is emotional for me, because, I mean, this is, don't, we have an awesome culture at Nationwide. Don't, Take it like this guy has been on vacation for 30 years. He, he's just a, a, a long time associate, very valued associate that we have who's saying these three days are the most productive I've been in 30 years because you put all the experts in the room, because you unblocked, um, you unblocked all the blockers that I've been frustrated with for 30 years. And I just think it's so powerful, again, to be able to, uh, to memorialize that and show that because that's something that doesn't show, come up in your cloud metrics that you're, that, that you're tracking. So hopefully some of these things, the migration mechanisms, the accelerators, uh, some, of the, some of the ways that we document things have been helpful for you. Again, this is just the way we do it. It's not the only way that is out there. And Calpen's up here to tell you some of the other ways that customers are having success um, doing it in different ways. Thanks, Ryan. So we've seen what worked for Nationwide. and. and really humbled to hear these stories again and again. And thanks, Ryan, and, and thanks for your leadership nationwide. Really appreciate that. Um, at AWS, we've been hearing these stories and we are learning together as a community of cloud experts. And, and we thought that at, at some point, we need to gather this knowledge and make it available to all of our customers and partners who are energized to go to cloud. So how do we do that? And, and that made a, uh, a, a title, AWS Migration Playbook. Over the next 10 minutes or so, I want to take you guys through what has worked for hundreds and thousands of those customers in the form of a best practice and knowledge that you can leverage to make your success story better. So over the last few years, we have been capturing this knowledge systematically to enable our customers and help them accelerate their cloud journey across every single phase of their journey. Um, and we have heard, we've heard from Ryan and we have heard many other customers, and I wanna say that we have heard a lot, three, three key things. One is, as you heard from Ryan and his team, we heard that we have to take the leadership and demonstrate leadership across the organization. Ryan talked about the business, counterparts and the business owners of these applications. And the, the theme around migration is not, to his point, migrate the infrastructure and lift and shift, but to focus on how can we deliver more value for each of those applications, whether you're migrating or you're building new application in the cloud. So clearly demonstrated leadership across the board. Set the clear objectives, clear business goals, to his point, Number of apps migrated may not be meaningful to many other business owners. 
what probably make, made sense for them is, what is the value that I can deliver out of this change? Can I acquire more customers? Can I increase our profitability? Can I add more revenue to our business without making lots of investments, right? So a clear nonlinear growth as, as some of the learnings that we've seen as business learning. And with that, I think Ryan's team across the board with the ability to provide those dojos or, or parties or clinics is constantly build skills and center of excellence and, and address the gaps in your, in your ability to migrate and, and grow in the cloud. So with the cloud uh, migration, there are some challenges and we have heard this over and over from our customers. Top three challenges that we have heard are first, you have to deconstruct the on-premises environment, on-premises technical environment, and clearly identify what is the application's need from the infrastructure today and over a period of time, so that we can plan the migration better to service those needs. You need to understand the applications in their performance and, and relationships from an operational standpoint. You need to understand the organi organization change, the policies and, and rules. You need to look at the security policies and, and such like. So there are issues with applications and its business needs. There are issues with operations and there are challenges with the, in, in the change in the culture and then building more uh, capabilities in house. So with that sort of problem statement or, or challenges in mind, AWS started forming a mechanism, and, and what we started calling it is customer cloud journey, and this is the playbook that has worked for many, many customers, and it's capture of their success stories in the form of a, a single book of knowledge. So the, what has worked with our customers is typically they have gone through four phases of migration, and the first is really the assessment where they typically go through identifying the on-premises environment and applications need from the infrastructure and what's the total cost of ownership of this change. And, and you would want to acquire that, that capabilities to learn about your total, total cost of ownership and what, has, what is your challenges and, and what are the, the things that you need to learn about your capabilities. So you learn about, systematically learn about your migration readiness, and we call it migration readiness assessment, and we look at a day-long, through a day-long workshop with the, all the key stakeholders in the room, learn across six principles of cloud adoption, and learn that what are the key capabilities and where are the gaps, so that before I embark on the large-scale migration, I, I get those capabilities baked in-house. And it's a process, and so this is the assessment, and finding out early, earlier that what is the total cost of ownership for migration? And what are the capabilities that I need to build in-house? And there are mechanisms such as a day-long workshop with core, uh, core of those capabilities in the form of an immersion day so that those experts who are currently running your environment or, or servicing these applications or building more are in the room to understand how do we go through this change. So first and foremost, you go through the assessment. The second, and, and more deeper phase is what we call readiness and planning. And here is where you identify your foundation. You build your foundation. It's two to six months of process across eight different work streams. And, and it answers a lot of questions that your stakeholders uh, internally would have in the form of, hey, so what is going to be our new operating model? How does a cloud landing zone look like? How do we set up the account environment, organization, structure, and provide the accessibility? How do we look at the new, new set of skills? And where is my business case? Can I prove to my business and, and provide them enough information that the cloud migration or modernization initiative is justifiable? And how do we build a migration plan? Ryan talked about seminars, and I'm going to go there in a second. Uh, but you really need to identify where does, what happens to these applications. Do we relocate these applications? Do we transform? Do we re-architect? Do we re-platform and leverage cloud native database operating systems? And so on. So you identify those areas and, and focus on across these six, uh, sorry, eight uh, work streams, what is going to be your foundation capability? How are you going to plan? 
And in this phase, you actually experience migration for a set of 10 or 20 applications, and you actually go through the migration to experience how easy it is to migrate to the cloud and, um, and the new operating model. At the end of the readiness, you have a clear migration plan. You migrated first 10 to 20 applications through the experience and sort of have your wave plan together that the next wave is this set of applications. They're the most important. And, and Ryan, I think, uh, talked a lot about how do we prioritize. Your prior prioritization matrix would be different from the others, but you got your priority aligned with the business and the stakeholder needs and how do we process that and, and clearly see that the migration factory kicks in. And it operates like every few weeks you see more applications migrate to AWS. You will see now that you have migrated to the cloud, new phase of, of your time in, in, in cloud, how do we operate? So optimizations, modernizations, and all of those uh, new set of projects will kick in once you have migrated. And then some of the applications are easier than other, some others like Ryan mentioned. So you really accelerate the journey after you build the, uh, the foundation uh, uh, during the readiness and planning phase. You can leverage this knowledge and in the form of various assets that we, we have built and provided online, and, and I'll talk through it. But let's go through a couple of these. Migration readiness assessment is a day-long workshop. You go through 70 questions that addresses six key pillars of cloud adoption framework, and what we address there is how good you are. Are you ready with your business case? Do, do we clearly know uh, what's your cloud business justification? How do we operate in the cloud? What, what is the people uh, stand? And, and how do we build newer capabilities in the people? And I think Ryan has really provided some of the key leadership and, and some of the, the best practices. Uh, and then some other customers have also seen that, that you create a core set of knowledge and expertise in-house and kind of build on it and leverage the other and others to gain from them with those mechanisms such as clinics and parties. So you grow those existing teams, let them learn new, new capabilities and, and have them ask questions, rather pull rather than push strategy in terms of building your larger cloud migration or cloud expertise in-house. Some other capabilities that AWS uh, brings at this point. Um, you really need to prove your business uh, you know, uh, investments in, in this cloud migrations. And so you really need to, need to get up to a point where you can tell your management, the business leaders, that migrating these applications or this particular app or third-party solution into the cloud would get us to X percentage of savings year over year. And I think uh, Mary talked about some of the success stories of customers saving north of 30 40% year over year. On their, just purely on their infrastructures and licensing is what we have seen over and over. And this is collective uh, sort of average of you know, thousands of customers. So I'm pretty confident that uh, AWS provides uh, tools and techniques. Uh, for example, TSL Logic uh, is a company that we acquired early this year. Um, and, and it helps you enable, in, within four weeks of time, get to your business justification, business case of cloud migration initiative. Um, it does the, it, it is automated capability so that it does convert the application infrastructure on premises, does the instant size mapping, and does the cost calculations, assuming you will migrate these assets and these applications to the cloud and give you fairly uh, accurate uh, TCO calculation. And, and that's where you need to gain and, and learn from and, and provide these uh, business justification to your executives to get them signed up and get them excited uh, and through the journey. Uh, there are other mechanisms, uh, the, we call it readiness. Prior to uh, cloud readiness and planning, there are other mechanisms to get your teams up to speed. And, and you know, there are things such as emergent days I talked about. There are workshops that are curated to meet your specific needs, uh, for example, you might have uh, the security group uh, concerned or, or a cloud operating model team have a concern and they would want to go deep and gain the knowledge of how does it operate post-migration and answer those questions. We have designed several of those accelerators in the form of day-long workshops so that people can learn more and get those answers about security governance, your organization-specific needs and such like. So there are 
there are workshops, there are mechanisms, there are tools, tools and services that are packaged and, and provided as form of a training or a workshop uh, in a day or two. Let's look at how do we go through planning, and Ryan talked about the seven R's, which were six R's, I think, previously. We've added one R, which is what we call relocate, uh, and I'll get to it in a second. But the planning phase is where you collect the information from your on-premises environment about the application's need, translate that, and discover the organization-specific data and, and, and provide it gets you to a point to let you know, these are the re-host candidates. These are the applications you would need to re-platform to leverage the best out of changing the operating systems or databases or re-platforming them. And here are some of the applications you would want to retire. So this is where you need to, uh, this is the help that we provide using AWS services such as TSO Logic, uh, AWS Application Discovery Service, and Migration Hub lets you do a lot of these tasks automatically. So it, it does provide the automation and decision support for you to be able to, to race to that point within a few weeks as to these, these, this is my application migration plan. Here are the applications I would want to retire. Here are the applications really uh, you know, suitable for the first phase or easy rehosting or the set of applications which will have to go through repurchase or you want to call it uh, re-architect. And, and some of those items will be made clear depending on the data that the application discovery services or our third party partners can identify you automatic, for you automatically from your environment. So you get to automate, you get the decision support, and you get a framework around how do I plan my migration activities and how, how does a wave one, wave two, wave three look like? Um, quick overview on TSO logic. We, we've seen that it's a, it's a tool that is available to our customers and partners for free. And it, what it does is it automates the on-premises environment scanning. It optimizes your licensing, specifically some of the operating systems and databases, and it delivers a directional business case in less than four weeks. Some other capabilities I want to highlight here is, is Cloud Endure, uh, which is, uh, again, an acquisition we made early this year, and it's, it's provided to our customers and partners for free. What it does is it actually migrates the servers. It actually migrates the applications automatically. So these are the tools that, uh, this is a tool that takes care of your migration cutover, and it, it's one of the key capa capabilities that it does this within the shortest downtime, I think Ryan talked about cutover production uh, environments. That's, that's where the Cloud Endure capability comes handy and you can migrate painlessly without having the applications down for uh, more than a few minutes. Um, quick overview on how do you build your foundation team. I think the cloud clinics and parties and dojos, I think the advice here is that let's create a cross-pollinated, uh, uh, cross-functional team right, from your product management, product engineering, operations, and the design teams, and collectively build this core team of experts who will then help you expand it into the rest of the organizations and, and help the uh, application owners uh, uh, seamlessly migrate over with their, those experts. Couple items, uh, landing zone facilities, you know, you need to build a landing zone prior to you, your large-scale migrations and AWS provides Control Tower, uh, one of the key services that enables the setting up of your cloud environment with your account structure, the controls, the policies, and, and guardrails around it, and it's an automated tool for you to quickly spin up your uh, environment and, and in the cloud, and, and this is automated using the AWS Control Tower uh, service. A lot of customers have uh, reached out and said, this is great, there's a lot of knowledge, services, tools, and capabilities. How, does it, how do we all put it together? How does it come together? And we, we thought we will talk about this in a, in a form of prescriptive guidance. And there is this website uh, underneath here that is called AWS Prescriptive Guidance. And you get to access all of this information in the form of best practices, a lot of documents, uh, patterns, libraries, 
Uh, for example, your executives may have question on how do I look at the strategy? Where is my seven R? How do I look at this application and in that context and how do I automate that? You are the answer from AWS APG. You have builders asking about how do I look at Oracle to Postgres and there is a pattern information out there. Um, quick overview of how does it all put together again in four phase migration process, assessment, readiness and planning, migrations and operations, and all of this information is available to our customers and partners uh, through AWS documentation, uh, AWS prescriptive guidance, and our migration central, some of you might be familiar with. Some of the partners that you can work with, uh, again, to build those capabilities or bridge those gaps quickly, here are the partners that we have curated who have built their larger migration practices who have been trained and certified on AWS migration methodologies and frameworks. With that, I think it all gets uh, put together, uh, together. I want to pause here and refer to some of the other sessions you can attend through the week. Uh, thank you for your time. I want to say at this point, we can be here. I think Mary, Ryan, and I will uh, stay here for a little while for any questions, uh, but please, at this point, go ahead and provide us your feedback. We are happy to attend any questions, uh, reach out to us uh, any ways you can or, or through your account teams. We are happy to answer any questions and provide any documentation, tools, services, guidance. Thank you so much.